Good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, if we could um, turn in our Bibles to our portion of Scripture, which we're going to consider this morning. And, of course, that portion is First John chapter 2. It's been a little bit of a crazy morning. Well, at least it is for my family with the time change. The kids really don't understand the time change. Uh, trying to get them fed. They start acting up when they don't get enough sleep. I'm still a little nervous trying to gather all my thoughts together. And shamefully, I, I like to apologize to my wife. It's her birthday this Friday. She should have gotten a sticker, and I completely missed it. So uh, get that burden off my shoulders for just clarity of thought. Um, and then with the Lord's help, we'll get through, through this uh, chapter. 1 John chapter 2, I'm going to start reading in verse 3, and it says, And hereby we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But, who, but whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. And again, a new commandment I write unto you, which is which thing is true in him and in you. Uh, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in the darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because the darkness hath blinded his eyes. I write unto you, children, because your sins are forgiven, you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him, uh, that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him. That is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, nor neither the things of the world. If any man loveth the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time, as you have heard, that the Antichrist shall come. Even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, not, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might manifest that, that, that they were not of us, that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it. And there is no lie, there is, and there is, I'm sorry, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ. He is an antichrist. 
that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. If, if that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you shall, uh, you shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise which he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things I have written unto you concerning them that try to lead you astray. But the anointing which you have received of them abideth in you, and need not that any man teach you. But the same anointing teacheth you all things in truth, and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. Now, little children, abide in him, that you shall appear. We may, be, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before his coming. Let's look to the Lord for guidance. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we ask for your blessing upon this portion of Scripture. We would ask that you would uh, open our ears and our hearts, Father, to take in thy word. We ask that you, your Holy Spirit will deliver a message, Father, and that you would help us to uh, understand it, that it would have an effect in our very lives, Father. In your Son's most precious name we do pray. Amen. Uh, it's been a few weeks since we've been in, in, in John, in the epistle of 1 John. And there was a couple of uh, concepts and terms that were introduced that are very important to continue the study in chapter 2. And uh, if you missed that message, you can listen to the recording. Uh, our brother Jamal did it about two weeks, two weeks ago, exactly. And uh, we're introduced to the concept of fellowship. We're introduced to the concept of eternal life. What does that physically mean? And it's, it's, it's good to understand the, these are concepts that seemingly seem something that it's easy to understand. But to tell you the truth, I was ignorant in some of these concepts myself as a young man. I used to think eternal life would be something that would happen to every Christian when they would die and go to heaven. And believe me, our Bible takes great interest in making sure that people go to heaven when they die. But unfortunately, that is not the concept of eternal life, right? If, if we consider the, the very words of our Lord Jesus Christ, in John chapter 17, he would define these terms. And, and, and surely, John, writing, John the, the, the apostle, will be writing, considering the words of Jesus Christ. John chapter 17 and verse 3, our Lord Jesus Christ would define eternal life as this. And this is life eternal, that you would live a long time. No, that's not what, what, what Christ said. What Christ said, that you go to heaven when you die. That's not what Christ said. And this is life eternal, that they may know thee. Know thee, the true and living God, and Jesus whom thou hast sent. So, here's this concept of eternal life. And John would repeat this in, in chapter 1, that the eternal life, that was with the Father. Eternal life is in Christ. It's in a person. It's not in a realm of time. Did you get that? Eternal life is not a concept of time. It's in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And John the Apostle is saying that the eternal life that was with the Father from the very beginning, that eternal life was manifested. And it was something personable. Something that they saw, that they touched, that they handled. Something that they witnessed, and he's making it known. This is real. Something that's, 
that's graspable, something that is not a fairy tale, a make-believe, this eternal life in Christ. And then the other concept that was brought up was the term fellowship. Now, fellowship is a simple term. You could say it's communion. Uh, there was a, a young man um, from somewhere from England, I think it was Bristol, England, a few years ago that came to, to my place of employment. And he was an intern. And I started talking to him. Oh, what's your name? Brian, Brian, how are you? My name is David. And, oh, where's that accent from? Oh, I'm from, from Bristol in England. Oh, that's really cool. You guys like soccer over there, I imagine. I'm a soccer fan myself. Over here, we call it soccer. Over there, we call it football. He's like, oh, yes, my favorite team is Manchester United. Oh, wait, my favorite team is Liverpool. So there's some kind of... And before I knew it, we're having some kind of fellowship, right? There's something in common there. There's an interest in football. And then there was a lovely young man came the end of the summer, he left, and that's it. The fellowship was over. It's a simplified term of fellowship. The fellowship that is described here is, is similar to that. But the fellowship that we have with the Father is nothing less than sharing the very life of God. Imagine that. This morning we heard that we, we have to that, behold what manner of love the Father had bestowed upon us, that we could become, that we could be children of God. And this is a concept that's also has to be very clarified. We're not all born children of God. I mean, many people would say God is a loving God. We're all his children. In a sense, that's not true. You have to become a child of God in order to have this fellowship. You have to be born again. It would be worded in, in, in uh, John chapter 3. So in order to become a child of God, very clearly the gospel message will describe to us what needs to happen. But this concept that we are creations of God, automatically become ch- children of God, is not true. Not true. There is a, a great illustration that was given by the great English scholar C.S. Lewis, which, which he would describe a carpenter, a famous carpenter that will make these magnificent uh, works of art and, and made this magnificent, elegant chair that was fit for royalty. And come, lo and behold, the carpenter meets a young lady. And one thing leads to another. They get married and she, they have a kid. So now you, you, you look at this small little infant and you say, what use has this little infant? It just cries. It makes a mess from all ends. It keeps the parents up. But then you look at this chair. It's elegant. It's beautiful. It has a use. One of them is a creation of the carpenter. The other one is something he begot. And oh, how powerful our God is. He cannot create children. He has to beget them. And we would read in John chapter 1, but as many as received him, being Jesus Christ. To them he gave the power to become children of God. So there's the concept of becoming a child of God. To have that fellowship. To share that very life with God the Father in Jesus Christ. And, of course, time is always against us. But to have this fellowship with the Father, there are certain conditions. And again, this is just brief uh, restating what was said in chapter chapter 1. You have to go back to the message to get the details. But the conditions is that God is light. In Him there's no darkness at all. That poses a huge problem on our part. Which Christ, with God the Father resolved by sending His Son to the world to take on my sin. The, the condition number two is 
we have to walk in in the light as he walks in the light. And this is emphasized again in chapter 2. Now in chapter 2, with the time that we have left, here John would go on to start giving you some evidence. Evidence regarding, do you have fellowship with the Father? Do you have eternal life? And how do you know you have eternal life? And that's how, exactly how the chapter, I say the chapter starts. Really, chapter 2, I started at verse 3 because my brother took the other two verses. Uh, not because he forced me to. I let him. The, 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 the thought flow would go onto the first two verses with chapter 1. So, in verse 3, how do we know? Right? And that's how the, the, the verse 3 begins. Hereby we know that we know him. How do you know that you know him? How do you know that you have this eternal life? How do you know that you have fellowship with the Father? And here, John would go on to list certain evidences that should be evident in every believer. Did you hear that, Christian? If you're a believer, you claim to have fellowship with the Father. If you claim to have eternal life, you should have certain evidences. And these things are written in a simplified manner that we, somebody as simple-minded as myself, could understand and could check for these evidences. How important is evidence just in, in general? You look to see for evidence to have any kind of trust in something, right? Uh, our Lord Jesus Christ would, would look at this concept of evidence. If, if we consider in, in, we're not going to turn there just because it's the sake of time, in, in Luke when he was dealing with one of the good Pharisees, right? They will see the Lord's teaching. They would invite him to his house and he would provide food. And then there would come this woman and break this alabaster case on his feet and weep, and weep over his feet and, and, and clean. And, and in his mind, he's thinking if he knew the manner of this woman, he wouldn't let her touch him. Right? Here's this Pharisee thinking to himself, I am righteous. I am clean. This woman is dirty. Lord Jesus Christ, knowing, knowing what's Thoughts are going through this Pharisee's mind. He goes, Simon, let me ask you a question. And he gives him a, a parable of the debt collector, right? He goes, there was a, a, a creditor, had two people that had two debts. One of them, his debt was great. The other one was small. He forgives them both. And then he would ask them, to which one is, which one is going to show more love, right? And then he goes, just as the creditor. And Simon would answer correctly to the Lord. And he would say, she, her sins are forgiven. And the, the evidence is, for she loved much. Loved much. Right? There's an evidence there. You get that? There's an evidence to, there's, there's fruit. The point I'm trying to make is, in a Christian, there, there should be something. There should be some sort of evidence in their lives. As, as uh, uh, Paul would go on to say in... In Romans chapter 5, a, a, a very familiar passage. Um, sorry. Just turn there really quick. Yeah, the, so the first two verses are, are very familiar, right? It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into the grace which, where we stand and rejoice in the hope of his glory. And this is the verses that we don't, don't memorize. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh for patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. James will go on to say, brethren, count it all 
joy when you fall into diverse trials, right? There's some testing, some testing that will bring forth. So if, if the faith, the point here is if the faith of the believer is true, this tribulations, this testing will bring forth evidence, uh, some sort of endurance, right? That will come forth and it would ensure the believer. It's almost like a security. These things are coming and there's evidence that's coming out of my life and your faith is strengthened in a sense. All right, let's not go too much off topic. So we talked about these specific evidences that John wants us to know about. I would go on to say in this chapter, there's three, three specific ones. One of them, there's actually a fourth that's kind of hinted towards that I'll mention. But the three is, there's a test of a righteous walk. Did you get that? Test of a righteous walk, number one. Number two, there's the test of love. And then number three, there's the test of doctrine, correct doctrine. All right? And we're going to cover those. Hopefully, with, with some detail. We don't want to just skim over them. The first one that John goes into is found in verse 3, 4, 5, and 6, where it talks about, by this we know that we know him. How do you know that you know him? How do you know that you have fellowship? How do you know that you have eternal life? If we keep his commandments. Who is the his? Well, that would be Christ. That would be his commandments. How do we know his commandments? Well, how can we keep his commandments if we don't know them? Well, that's what we have the word of God for, right? If we're going to know his commandments, we have to read the word of God. It might be simple, but we have to read it, right? To know the mind of God, to know what his commandments are. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. It's very basic stuff. If you say that you know him, but your walk demonstrates other things. If you say, I am a Christian, 90% of Americans will say, I am a Christian. But their walk demonstrates something that's completely opposite to what they're saying. They're lying. They're not a Christian. They don't know the Father. They don't have fellowship with Him, nor do they have eternal life. But but whoso keepeth His word uh, in Him is, uh, is the love of God perfected Hereby uh, know ye that you are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also to walk even as he walked. And how, did, how, did, how does he walk? That, that concept was introduced to us in the first chapter. In the light. In the light. Did you get that, believer? In the light. In him is light, and there's no darkness at all. You can't be walking in the darkness. Now, what happens when you're in the light? Things are revealed. Things that we don't like. Things that we are ashamed of. But nonetheless, the believer, is not the, the apostle is not saying that his life is perfectly sinless. He's saying that he walks in the light. And when it comes to the point where, where you would fail, and trust me, that point will come. You're going to fail. You're going to sin. There is advocate jesus christ that we have that he is faithful to forgive us of our sins if we confess right that's what says in verse 9 chapter 1 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins that's the difference between a child of god and somebody that just claims to know god right 
test of a righteous walk. Then it goes on in verse 7, 8, and 9. It goes on to, to speak about this old commandment, right? He's not writing something that is that it's new, something they haven't heard of, this, this commandment to love one another, right? But he's saying, in a sense, it's true that is, it is a new commandment because verse 8 says, Because darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now, right? So th- this concept that believer, that, that, that human beings, knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, passing from darkness to light, is this, it's, it's a concept that he's introducing. It's just something. If you consider this, brothers, there, there's a, a, ver- a couple of verses that were quoted here this morning from chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 2, where it says, It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear... We shall be like him. Take a, take a look to the brother and sister next to you. If they're a believer in Christ, if you would see them, how they were going to be in glory, you would fall down on your face. There's been many examples in Scripture where just an angel would appear, and a believer would, and a disciple or whoever it is would just drop to their face. And it's a, it's a sobering thought to think about that, that old brother, that, that elderly man, of what they're going to appear like in glory. It's, it's, it's an amazing thought. And here, John would go on to, uh, to the second test, the, the test of love. If you say that you know him, but you hate your brother, that's a failed test. Test number two would be failed. And verse 10 says, But he that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there's no occasion of stumbling in him, right? And, and here's, for sake of time, I'm going to make just do a contrast between this love test for the believer, right? What you are to love. But John would also go on to say what you're not to love. If you look at verse 15, a believer is not to love. He's to love the brethren. He's to love his fellow Christian. But in verse 15 it says, love not the world. Neither the things of the world, if any man loveth the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Right? There's, there's many beautiful things about this world. And, and, and here the concept that, that John is writing, he's not writing that the beautiful creation that God made, uh, the beauty that we see in nature, the, the, the perfect, um, just the, 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 the physics and the science and the biology that goes for the whole thing to work together. There's a lot of things that we could admire about this. But the concept is there's many attractive things that would draw a believer's heart away from his creator. There's a lot of things that are seem appealing. A lot of things that would seem to bring some sort of satisfaction. A lot of emptiness would be the result of those things. And John is saying, these are the things we're to love. These are the things that we are not to love. You know him. Check the love test. Do you hate your brothers? And do you love the world? Do you love the things of the world? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father. It's not of the Father. It's of the world. And he will go on to say these things are going to perish away. But that believer, that's sitting next to you, oh, if you could see him the way he would look in glory. Those, he is not going to pass away. 
See the difference. Things we are to love and the things that we are not to love. And admittedly so, it's a miracle for the Spirit to have a work in us. Because I, I know some believers that are very difficult to love. And by the grace of God, we love them, right? I'm, sometimes I'm a hard person to love. But through the Spirit, we could love the person. We could love the Christ inside the person. And we could see them as they're going to be one day. So that's test number two, the love test. Did you pass that test? It's, it's, good, it, it's good for me to examine my life and take a look at these check marks that we need to see, right? Then the, the, the last test is the test of doctrine. And this is in, chapter, in, in verses 18 towards the end, right? It says, it starts speaking about Antichrist in, in verse 18. Now, he mentions um, the Antichrist. He's, and, and picture this. This is in the first century. This is after Christ has passed away. This is approximately 90 AD. And, and they're already looking for the end times back then. And that's how we should be living. We should be living, living as if Christ was coming today, this very moment. And he would say that the Antichrist is going to come. So that the end times are close by. But there are many Antichrists. It's not the Antichrist. Many people that are against Christ. People that try to grab uh, the doctrine that was given to us through Jesus Christ. The writer of the Hebrews would go on, uh, God, who at sundry times in diverse manners, spoke to us by the prophets. By prophets. He was giving us revelation through through men that he was spoke spoke to he says in these last days has spoken us by or in son in jesus christ that's it the scripture is completed the doctrine that the, the disciples are writing is what christ revealed to them there's nothing that needs to be added to it there's nothing that needs to be changed so here's these people these antichrists that would come into their congregation and they would leave perhaps they didn't get what, whatever power they're trying to get, they try trying to change some kind of doctrine. And you would see that through history. There's a lot of cults and sects in religion of apparently it's they'll grab scripture and change it. You got that knock on the door every now and then on Saturday, right? Hello, we're with the Church of Latter day Saints. Can we can we talk to you? I just want to tell you you know, my salvation is based on the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe salvation is only through him. We believe that too. Can we talk to you? Here's a little pamphlet. Oh, we believe that too, but then they pull out the Book of Mormon. Well, this guy, uh, John, I forget his name. Joseph. John, John Joseph Smith, he had an angel that appeared before him and revealed, now we have the complete. So this Joseph Smith, an angel appeared and gave him this this book is what you're telling me what what do you what do you what does this say in in our bible right scripture is complete what what does the, the the apostle paul say anyone adds to the scripture let him be accursed it's blasphemy you can't add to it our our muslim friends would would go on to say the Torah will, will take some stuff from the Torah, which is the, the Old Testament. The New Testament, yes, our prophet Muhammad says that, that that stuff is legit, but it's been corrupted. It's been corrupted. It's been translated. We have the Quran. 
the Quran, and, and that is untainted, divinely uh, transcribed, with no errors, right? That's, that's what they claim. And where did this Quran come from? Oh, it was revealed to the Prophet Muhammad 400 or 500 years after Christ. How was it revealed? An angel appeared before him. Wait a minute. Wasn't he illiterate? I mean, and, and these, are, these are questions that, yeah, yeah, he was a person that didn't know how to read and write. This angel appeared, and apparently he memorized everything and dictated, and boom, you have something that's just poison, right? You're grabbing to the truth, and you're adding poison. And how many people are laid astray, laid astray, led astray from these false religions? We have to know our doctrine. Brother, sister, are you passing the test of doctrine, correct doctrine? Look at verse 22. And, and this is an issue you have with, with Jehovah's Witnesses, right? Who is a liar but he that denieth Jesus is the Christ, right? Muslims will go on to say that Jesus was a prophet. Judaism are still looking for their Yeshua. And it's, it's a, such a heartbreaking thing because they, in a sense, they believe in him, but they don't believe that Christ was him, right? Who is a liar but he that denieth Jesus Christ? Jesus is the Christ. He is an antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. The test of correct doctrine. Three tests that we just briefly discussed this morning. And, it's, and these are our, our tests that we need to... It's, it's a very good to examine in our lives. Are these things true in my life? Are people seeing this in my life? Am I having a righteous walk? Am I showing any enmity? Am I loving the brothers? Or am I loving the world? Is my understanding of Scripture correct? Am I ashamed of Christ? Because the name of people have no problem saying, I believe in God. Once you start mentioning the name of Christ, it becomes an offense. Correct doctrine, brothers and sisters. Are we getting at these three? How's your evidence on these three tests that John would write about? I mentioned that there's a fourth, and it's just briefly mentioned, and it's the test of the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer of God, if you have fellowship with the Father, and if you have eternal life, you are anointed with the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 it says, But you have an unction or an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. The concept there is not that you, you know everything, but you, you're, you're enlightened. You're, you have a conscience. And, and you're eventually, your mind, right? If you're walking and reading scripture, you're having this righteous walk, you're having communion, this fellowship with the Father, your mind is going to be translated, what Paul would say, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ also, right? The, the life of the believer would eventually transform to be the life of Christ. Never, not perfected in this world, in this, this world right? Uh, the term Christian, right, was given to the disciples in the book of Acts, not because they're saying, I'm Christian, I'm Christian. That term was given to them because of the way they walked. They were like Christ. Our lives should be transformed towards to be like Christ. You know, we're out of time. But maybe two more verses, and then we'll call it a day. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 
who hath sealed us and give us, given us earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. It's the mark of a true believer. If you're dwelt by the Holy Spirit, and you have the Holy Spirit, and you're not quenching it, you're letting it control your life. You're letting it conform you into the image of the Son of God. I started uh, this morning's message by saying the mis- misconception of eternal life. And a lot of times, it's inappropriately taught that eternal life is something that we get when we get to heaven. It's something that uh, people communicate. This is a, it's a magic saying, a magic phrase, a prayer that you do once, and then that's it. Your reservation ticket is sealed forever. And I'm not, I'm not denying the, the assurance of salvation. I'm not, I'm not questioning that by any means. But the concept is that if you think that eternal life is me saying a prayer, I have a ticket, I have a reservation, and then I go on living my life without any evidence, without a righteous walk, without the love, and without believing the correct things about Christ, and thinking because I said a few words, living my life, that I'm going to get a ticket to go to heaven, that is a very, very grave misconception that it could cost dearly. One of these um, brothers that's present here this morning, one of those that's pretty hard to love, he goes by the name of Malcolm Carlton. He handed out, he handed out a, um, like a little pamphlet called The Minimum Christian. And it's, it, it was, I found it encouraging to me to read these things and to, to make sure that we're not falling into this trap. And he would go, the, the, the writer will go on to, to say a minimum Christian does this, barely goes to the meeting. He just apparently outwardly does these things. He believes in preaching that these concepts apply to his neighbors. But look at what the last paragraph says. It says, beware lest you find at last that in trying to get to heaven with so little involvement in the things of the Lord, you miss it altogether. Truly godliness, true godliness demands self-denial and cross-bearing, and you have done none of these, you're making a false profession. And I, say, and I say that to you this morning. John writes these things for us to know. For us to know. Again, eternal life, forgive the, the simple definition, it's a life. It's not something that's hid. It's not something that you, you say once and then you think you're going to possess it. It's a life. It's something that you live and it's in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for these truths that are revealed to us from your scripture, that they could be so simple for us, uh, simple-minded people to understand, Father, but how powerful they are and how, how evident these truths are. We thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who would allow us, the one that he would provide a way for us to walk in the light even as he is in the light. And we thank you for your justice, that you would look upon that sacrifice on Calvary when I fall and I sin and and, and I stumble, Father, and you would call it upon the righteousness of your Son for that propitiation for our sins, not just of ours, but of the whole world. Father, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that is considering these things and they don't have these evidences in their life, that they would cling to you that in faith they would come to know thee, the true and living God, through through Jesus Christ, your Son. In his name we do pray. Amen.